And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Continuing on the subject of true wealth, wisdom, and knowledge, we see seven examples of why Jesus Christ is our true wealth, the real treasure of life. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. We're seeing so far that the Lord Jesus Christ is the best wealth. He is all the wealth. Secondly, we are seeing that the Lord Jesus Christ is the hiding place of all the treasures of true wisdom and knowledge. The scriptures make it very clear in other places than Colossians 2 that the Lord Jesus Christ is great wealth and great treasure. Let me give you quickly seven examples. All of these are showing us that Jesus Christ in and of himself is the great wealth of the Bible, the great wealth of life. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. Acts 3, 1 to 10. Here, Peter and John, after Christ's ascension, Peter and John realized that Jesus Christ was way more valuable than money. And they healed a man in Jesus' name who came to the same conclusion. Acts 3, 1 to 10. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and entered the temple with him, and walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. And what had happened to him? I guess they were. Jesus, the biggest treasure. Or Matthew 13, verse 44. Here the kingdom of heaven, and by extension, the king of the kingdom of heaven, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, is likened to being a vast, valuable treasure. In fact, a valuable treasure that exceeds all the value of any other assets anybody could own. Matthew 13, 44. Listen, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The verse is saying... The king of the kingdom is worth everything you could possibly liquidate to get money for as if you had to buy it. The next verse in Matthew 13, verse 45, likens this kingdom of heaven and even more so the king of that kingdom to an extremely valuable pearl. One that is worth the value of everything you could possibly own. Verse 45, Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. Or then there's John 3.30. 
which presents the Lord Jesus Christ as being greater than John the Baptist by John the Baptist making that admission himself. In John 3, verse 30, John the Baptist said of the Savior, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's a remarkable statement, but even more so because Jesus said that before John the Baptist, there was no one greater than John the Baptist. So think about this. John the Baptist, who Jesus said was more important than all of the Old Testament prophets put together, John the Baptist said that Jesus Christ is more valuable than me. We have a treasure, church. We have a treasure. Or take the well-loved verse, John 14, verse 6. Jesus is speaking. He indicates that he is the most valuable one of all in the sense that he says of himself that he is the only way to heaven. And he is. Jesus said of himself, he's the only perfect truth, and he is. Jesus said of himself, he's the only source of eternal life, and he is. And the verse, as you know, it says, Jesus speaking, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. Or there's Hebrews 3, verses 1 and 6. Remember, we're seeing that the treasure we have in Jesus Christ surpasses all other things we could call treasure. Hebrews 3, 1 to 6. This is going to teach us that the Lord Jesus Christ is greater in the eyes of heaven than the most important patriarch of the nation of Israel, Moses, the giver of law, which was the constitution of the nation of Israel. If a Jew came to understand that Messiah was greater than Moses, then the Jew would understand just how great Messiah is. Hebrews 3, 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, that is, to his father. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house, for he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Now, if you were a Jewish reader, you would go, pardon? Someone has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses? Really? I go on. But just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in, in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence in the boast of our hope firm until the end. So we're seeing just seven examples that the, the New Testament teaches us that the Lord Jesus Christ is supreme wealth. He is supreme treasure. No one, no thing, no concept, no idea is more valuable and precious than him. And that's why when you face that Jesus Christ is supreme wealth, that's why you're, you're precisely willing to do the agonizingly exhausting work of helping someone else mature into Christ because you know in giving them Christ, you are giving them the most valuable treasure they could ever have. And so you do the agonizingly hard work of disciple-making. One more. First John 5, 11 and 12. Jesus Christ is the most valuable treasure because there's no forgiveness in anyone but him. 
there is no gaining of heaven with anyone else but him. There is no avoidance of hell. There is no amnesty from hell found in anyone other than him. And so 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son, nowhere else. And this life is in his son and he who has the son has the life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. That's the way it is. You have the Son by faith as Lord and Savior, you have eternal life. You reject the Son as being your personal Lord and Savior, you do not have eternal life. And you have no hope of getting it until you repent about Jesus. So let me ask you, is Christ your most valued treasure? Is he? Is he your most valuable wealth. And if he is your most valuable treasure, does it show in how you live? How you spend money and time and talent? Does it show up in how you live? Is Jesus Christ your most valuable treasure? And is Jesus Christ your true wealth as you make your choices in your lives? And now, today's ministry spotlight. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas here. I'm the youth pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. And I've been the youth pastor here for over two and a half years. And it's been a, a great thing to see young people come to know Christ as Savior, but not just to stay there, but to grow in their faith. And I want to just talk to you a little bit about our ignition program, which is our Friday night youth group. And one thing about our Friday night youth group, which is unique about many other youth groups, is even during the summer months, we don't close. The only time we normally close is if all my leaders have, have gone away on different camp trips with our teens or our, our other activities. Most of the time we don't close. And it's just great to see that because we know what happens with idle time. And we just had a great, tremendous time this summer as we've had a time with the kids just to relax and just to talk about spiritual things, just to talk about life itself. You may be asking, what is Ignition? Well, Ignition is a, a time that we come out on every Friday night. Um, with our kids to fellowship, to grow in the Word, but also our small groups. Of course, with every Bahamian party, you know we must have, we must have food. And this is what usually starts our evening as we have things like pizza, Chinese, you know, all the things that young people like to eat. And um, this is one thing that is um, a great time for us just to fellowship and bond together before um, we look into God's Word together. And, and But I think that during this time, it's just just good to just sit down and talk with the teens and get to know them. Um, one thing about Carry Bible Church that is very unique is we have people from all sorts of different schools, backgrounds, you know, and, and that's the thing that I want as our youth group to be. Our youth group wants to be a different type of youth group where we have people from, from all walks of life. And we want to see these people come to know Christ, but also that we want to see them united because we know in the Bible that that's the thing about the Christian life and the Christian body. Is that we may be all different, but one thing that we have in common is that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's what we like to see. Um, but going back to our Friday nights, thinking about, first of all, our food, and then we have a, a great time of praise and worship. Um, we usually break and have a praise and worship time, and then we go look into God's Word. And, and usually our service time runs to about an hour, where we have praise and worship and the Bible uh, as we look into God's Word together. And then we break into small groups. Um, and I think this is probably the most important time of our night. Yes, looking into God's Word is, is very, that's the most important part in a sense. But I like it because what it happens is we break down the Word of God for our kids. 
and we get to hear how their week has been, um, what they have been up to, um, what are they struggling with. Um, and, and we have a great group of, of youth leaders um, that help. This isn't just me. And that's one thing I want to under- make everyone understand is that the youth ministry does not fall on Nicholas Rogers. It falls on a group of leaders that are, are great and that have a heart to see young people know Christ as their Savior and are there for them, that sacrifice time for them. Um, if you know anything about and if you attend Carrie Bible Church, one thing for me is I don't believe that youth ministry stops inside the four walls. Um, we will try our best to go and see um, our kids in, in sports games. We will go try to see them in music recitals. Um, whatever activity they have, and we know we've just finished this time of year of graduations. Um, and I know a lot of times, and people would say, well, why do you want to go to graduation? I can be honest with you. It's not that I really want to go, but I want to go there to support our young people. I could do a lot of better things in my time, but it's to be involved in these young people's lives. And we believe here at Calvary Bible Church that it doesn't just stop here on a Friday night. Uh, we have a great media ministry as well that a lot of our young people are involved in. We have a lot of our young people who are involved in um, our um, music ministry. We have a lot of our young people who are involved in our, a lot of ministries here at Carrie Bible Church. And I may be a person who has taken, um, oh, the word, I can't think of it right now. This is how we edit it. Um, I love my young people. And I will take up for them. And, I, and I'm going to be honest with you. I feel at here at Carrie Bible Church that we didn't have our young people. A lot of our ministries would not happen. And that's the important part that we see from a Friday night is that these young people, after they have been discipled and after they have come to know Christ and have a greater knowledge, they get plugged into ministries. And that's what, that's what it's all about. As well as, like I said, on Friday nights we have our small groups, but a lot of them we have games. Um, kids can come and play basketball, volleyball, but we also have organized games. And if you ask... Any of our young people, one of their favorite games is called Scatterball. And this is a time where they could just basically hit each other <laughs> with different balls um, and, and dodgeball and, and different games that, that, that we play. Um, like I said, we also do different events like scavenger hunts, lock-ins. Um, and if you know anything about a lock-in, um, as you get older, there's nothing fun about a lock-in. But it's just a sacrifice that you do for these young people because they enjoy it. Um, and, you know, and, and one thing I love about working with young people is they keep you young at heart um, because you have to get down. And, and let me tell you something about a young person. They will always tell you you're fake. And I think that that's very important. As, as like I said earlier, our, our youth leaders are such a great um, addition because I, I really don't care if someone says they like this youth leader better than me. It's not about that. We're a team. And we're there to work together to see these young people come to know Christ as their Savior. So if you need any more information on this, you can call Pastor Nicholas here at Calvary Bible Church. The number again is 242-326-0800. Thank you. And now, Help for the Hurting, with the Director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. Good morning again, and thank you for having us in your homes, or wherever you are at this time. We do appreciate you having us with you. This morning, we would like to look briefly at the fact that marriage is not an overnight train. Sometimes we have couples coming to us with the idea that if it doesn't work well, I'll get a divorce. May I say to you, marriage should be looked at as a life 
time commitment. So I want to ask you this morning, Helen, what do you see as one of the disadvantages we have in marriages when we run into problems? Well, I'm looking at marriage uh, from a growth area progression. Um, you can't build a life on a marriage in one day, one week, or one year. You, it's steps like a baby. You grow to appreciate love. You do things together. You go on dates. You um, find time to go to a seminar to sharpen your tools. And you also use the tools that you have in your toolbox because so many times persons come and they are out of touch. All they, I guess, they got so excited about the big day. The big day is over. Or even if it wasn't a great big wedding, if they escape to a beach somewhere on the family island or in the U.S., they forget, okay, this is going to take time. We are not going to be a super marriage or, or what we see in Hollywood. We have to come together and work on ourselves and be real. We can get so caught up with work that we don't have a date night. Okay. Well, you know, one of the things that I have been experiencing with a number of couples that come to us when they're dating, of course, they go on dates, they do things that they enjoy together. But after a few months married, that changes. No more dating, no more going out on a time together for you as a couple. Even with children, I believe that a couple should have time for themselves where they continue to build that relationship. And I believe that that is one of the things that are missing today. Once we get what we want, it would seem that nothing else matters. Uh, all we want is, well, it's what I want, what pleases me, and what I am going to get out of it. In other words, it's still about me rather than about us. I believe that in marriage today, the thing that is really missing is the usness in marriage rather than what is in it for me. Well, many couples, when they come into marriage, they come with the idea, I can still have my single life. You know, now I got married. I know I have a home or I have a house I can, like a car, and then I come and park. But they're not investing. In order to have a good marriage, you have to invest you have to take time. You know the old song that says, take time to know her or yes. know him. I like to say it too, it's not just a woman. But, but you have to take time and, and you have to go on dates or you have to just sit and say, you know, this is what you like. Let's do this together. This adds to the usness. It's not one side. It's not what I want. Uh, and it's not just um, I'm going to do this for a trade-off. Okay, if we go to dinner together tomorrow, you have to do what I want to do. No, no, it's, it's really wanting to enhance each other. And I think when we start to nurture and deposit into our love bank, then our roots will get deeper in the marriage. We, we won't be on shallow sand. We'll be deeply embedded. And so when these um, conflicts come, we can navigate them. 
But if we spend time too busy and I'm floating around living like a single woman and not committed to saying, let's do this for the usness, let's compromise and do something which you like, then we, we're not going to be able to navigate the storms or the tsunamis when they come along. Yes. In other words, we need to continue to build the it's relationship. Yeah. It's, it's progressive. And we never yeah. really arrived. ever arrive. No, we never really but arrived. Unfortunately, there are too many people who, who would say, you know, I'm not getting anything out of this marriage. I am not in love with him or her anymore. I hear that all the time. But the whole idea is they stop investing yeah. in the relationship. Yeah. That's the reason why they're not getting anything out of the relationship. Well, you have an account in a bank, and if you don't, you keep withdrawing, withdrawing, your account will soon be nothing there. But you have to invest, even if you just monthly put something or weekly put something. So the same with our life is progression. We invest in each other. We love, we cherish, and we want to see growth. And we have to deposit. We have to put, like, if it's a little plant, you check it out. You put water, and you put fertilizer, and you end up having fruits later down the road. Okay, thank you very much, Helen, for your input again today. Again, it was a pleasure being with you this morning and I pray that we who are married or intend to get married be prepared to invest in your marriage. Thank you very much and have a good day. And now the Bible's answers to your questions. A very practical question that I will try to answer biblically this morning. The question is this, how do I live out Ephesians chapter 6 Verses 1 through 4. Let me read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so the question again is, how... Do I live out Ephesians 6, 1 through 4? Well, I need to take it apart a little bit to answer that question. First of all, reference is made to children. Uh, here the Greek word is technoi, which means less than fully mature children. These are children in the truest sense of the word. They're not uh, adult children. They are less than fully mature children. It says that these kind of individuals are to honor their father and their mother. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Now, moving off of who the children are, what does it mean to honor? Obedience is seemingly directed to these less than adult children. Let me illustrate. I honor and respect my mom and dad at all times. But I am not compelled to obey them as a grown man as I was ordered to obey them when I was less than a grown man. The command to fathers is interesting. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. What does that mean? It means that there are certain ways that fathers can 
stir up their children to have wrath or anger. And some of the ways that a father can do that is failing to do some things, failing to protect, failing to provide, failing to pray. But there's another way that fathers can provoke their children to wrath, and it is hypocrisy, saying something and not living it. Also, harshness, being a father that just can't be pleased, uh, being a, f- a father that moves the boundary and the standard regularly to what you're asking your child to do. Uh, putting your children on what I call performance-based acceptance, either directly or indirectly saying to that child, I'm going to love you, especially if you are this way or if you accomplish this in life. Performance-based acceptance puts your children on a treadmill and it makes them feel that you only accept them if they are good, if they are accomplished, if they make certain grades in school. There are other things that provoke children to wrath. Of course, neglect, either literal neglect or emotional neglect. Uh, being in the same room with your child but neglecting any consideration for their thoughts or their feelings, uh, not even talking with them perhaps if the television is on. Another one, of course, is abandonment. Uh, a father who literally abandons his children, walks out the door on the children and the mother and never comes back. That's devastating. And there are some men who leave without ever leaving. They live at the house. They sleep there. They eat there. They may even mow the lawn there, but they, they've abandoned these children. They just left them to themselves. Abuse of any sort, emotional, physical, sexual, mental abuse, of course, provokes any child to wrath. Uh, to me, it's highly insignificant, very important to notice that it's the fathers that can either, by not doing something, we ought to do, or by doing things we ought not to do, that is sins of omission or sins of commission, it is us as fathers that can provoke anger in our children. This is to say, mothers are not addressed in these verses. Clearly, this is teaching us that the Lord ordains the husband to be responsible in his home. He has leadership responsibilities, but he is the one who is most responsible before God when the day is done and evaluation is made. I will be more responsible for the tone and the tenor and the direction and the faith of my family than my wife will. That is just the way God has it set up for his good purposes. And you say, really? I'm not sure that that's accurate. Well, let me just give you one example. In the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, chapter 1, verse 6, the situation here is that King David's son, Adonijah, is being referenced, and it says this stinging indictment. And his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, what have you done? Also, he was a very handsome man. So here we've got a terrible situation. We've got the king of Israel who never crossed a handsome son. What do you create when you do not ever cross or correct or chasten a handsome or a pretty child? You get a spoiled brat. And that's exactly who Adonijah turned out to be. And it's no mystery why. King David dropped the ball. 
he never bothered to discipline or to correct Adonijah. And Adonijah was handsome, and he knew it. And so he was just a spoiled, dangerous, disrespectful brat. And what's all significant to me in pointing out this verse as just one of many examples in Scripture is that wives aren't brought into these things. Not that they don't have a role in raising their children. Of course they do. But God holds husbands and fathers most accountable. So guys, we got to step up and we need to give our children direction, give our children love, give our children correction, give our children consistency, give our children unconditional love, give our children a good example. So these are some of the ways in practical terms that we are to live out Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.